The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Well, we just went through Thanksgiving, and it occurred to me that in the three years plus that I've been doing this show, I don't believe I've given more than a passing reference to one of the most important functions of IANS, and that's the scholarly publication we call the Journal of Near-Death Studies, and it's beautifully edited by uh, Janice Minor Holden. So, in a way, this is a Thanksgiving thank you show dedicated to uh, the journal and uh, to Jan Holden. For those of you interested in getting beyond the initial wow factor of NDE stories, this is the publication you should be intrigued by, since it offers up an academic, scientific, and historical approach to the discussion of NDEs, OBEs, and after-death communication, and other mystical experiences as well. Well, this is not a best-of-the-journal show. I just pulled several issues off my shelf to give you listeners uh, a taste of the breadth and depth of articles offered by the IANS Journal. And if any of this sounds intriguing to you, if you're not already getting the journal as a member of IANS, please get in touch with them um, to find out how you can subscribe as well. I thought I'd just uh, begin by mentioning a few of the titles of articles that have appeared in past issues of the Journal of Near-Death Studies. And as I say, this is not uh, this is not a best of. It's just a random sampling pulled off my shelf. Uh, in summer of 2011, there was an article by our friend PMH Atwater uh, titled NDE as a Threshold Experience. In that same issue, there was a book review Near-Death Experiences Exploring the Mind-Body Connection by Ornella Corraza. And uh, that was reviewed by Robert McLuhan, who's done some other uh, book reviews for us as well. In the spring of 2011, article The Tibetan Book of the Dead, Its History and Controversial Aspects of Its Contents by Michael Neem, Ph.D. And... Uh, also, Near-Death Experiences and the Mind-Body Relationship, a Systems Theoretical Perspective. David Rousseau wrote that one. Uh, in the summer of 2012, an article titled State of Apparent Death and Origin of Dreams, a historical review of German literature of the 19th and early 20th centuries by Burke Engman. Uh, Till death do us part, marital aftermath of one spouse's near-death experience by Roseanne Christian. You know, it's um, Ed and Jan Holden co-edited, co-wrote that. It's uh, We are often told how um, uh, an NDE on the part of one person in a marriage can affect the marriage generally, um, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. And um, we need uh, more accurate studies of this truism to to find out what it's all about. In the summer of 2012, there were book reviews, Out-of-Body and Near-Death Experiences, Brain-State Phenomena or Glimpses of Immortality by Michael Marsh, 
And that review, that review was by Harold Whittison. Randy's prize. What skeptics say about the paranormal, why they are wrong and why it matters. This was a book by Robert McLuhan reviewed by Nancy Clark. Let's go on. Let me do, I tell you what, I'm going to open at random some of these and read some of these articles to you. Um, let's see. All right. This is an uh, interesting, this is an interesting one. It's called The Dying Mother, Historical Citations of Mary Goff's 17th Century Near at Death Apparition. Written by Carlos Alvarado, uh, with a doctorate from Atlantic, uh, he's at Atlantic University. Don't know if you're familiar with this story. Each article, by the way, has an abstract, which it introduces and abridges the content of the article, which makes this very easy for you to find out whether you want to read the whole thing or not. This is the abstract. Traditionally, certain cases have been of particular importance to students of near-death phenomena. Such cases are more than mere examples or of, of research data. They are resources that are generally used to defend particular theoretical ideas, such as the projection, projection of the spirit or of some subtle body from the physical body around the time of death. And one such case was that of Mary Goff, a 17th century apparition of a dying woman that Richard Baxter reported in his book, The Certainty of the Worlds of Spirits, written in 1691. This paper includes a reprint of the original case report and a discussion of how later writers used the case to defend the ideas that something may leave the body during near-death states. And since they have the original case in the article... Let me read that to you. That would be interesting. This is a very famous story about a dying woman who wanted to see her children. All right. Oh, and they've kept the F's, the S's as F. So if I stumble over this, forgive me. Mary, the wife of John, it's, it could be Goff or Goss of Rochester, being afflicted with a long illness, removed to her father's house, at West Mulling, which is about nine miles distant from her own. There she died, June the 4th, this present year, 1691. The day before her departure, she grew impatiently delirious to see her two children, whom she had left at home in the care of a nurse. She prayed her husband to hire a horse, for she must go home and die with the children. When they persuaded her to the contrary, telling her she was not fit to be taken out of her bed, or able to fit uh, to sit on the horse back. The uh, she entreated them, however, to try. If I cannot sit, said she, I will lie all along upon the horse, for I must go see my poor babies. A minister who lives in the town was with her at ten o'clock that night, to whom the um, she expressed good hopes in the mercies of God and a willingness to die. But she said, "It is my." Misery that I cannot see my children. Between one and two o'clock in the morning, she fell into a trance. One widow Turner, who watched her that night, says that her eyes were open and fixed and her jaw fallen. She put her hand upon her mouth and nostrils, but could perceive no breath. She thought her to be in a fit and doubted whether she was alive or dead. The next day, this dying woman told her mother that she had been at home with her children. 
That is impossible, said the mother, for you have been here in bed all the while. Yes, replied the other, but I was with him last night when I was asleep. The nurse at Rochester, widow uh, Alexander by name, affirms and says that she will take an oath on it before a magistrate and receive the sacrament upon it that a little before two o'clock that morning she saw the likeness of the said Mary Goff come out of the next chamber where the elder children lay in the bed by by itself, the door being left open, and stood by her bedside for about a quarter of an hour. The younger child was there lying by her. Her eyes moved and her mouth went, but she said nothing. The nurse, moreover, says that uh, she was perfectly awake. It was then daylight, being one of the longest days of the year. She sat up in her bed, looked steadfastly upon the apparition. In that time, she heard the bridge clock strike two, and a while after said, In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who art thou? Thereupon the appearance removed and went away. She flipped on her clothes and followed, but what became of it she could not tell. And then, and not before, she began to be grievously affrighted and went out of doors and walked upon the wharf. Uh, the house is just by the riverside for some hours, only going in now and then to look at the children. At five o'clock, she went to a neighbor's house and knocked at the door, but they would not rise. At six, she went again. They arose and let her in. She related to them all that had passed. They would they would persuade her that she was mistaken or dreamt, but the confidently but she confidently affirmed, "If ever I saw her in all my life, I saw her there this night." One of those who made the uh, one of those to whom uh, she made the revelation, uh, Mary, the wife of John Swede, had a messenger who came from Mulling that forenoon to tell, to let her know her, her neighbor, Goff, was dying and desired to speak with her. She went over that same day and found her, uh, just departing. The mother among other, among, amongst other discourses related to her how much her daughter had longed to see the children and said she had seen them. This brought to Mrs. Sweet's mind what the nurse had told her that morning. For till then, they had not thought to mention it, but uh, disguised it rather as the woman's disturbed imagination. The substance of this I had related to me by John Carpenter, the father of the deceased, next day after the burial, July the 2nd. I fully uh, dis, uh, discoursed, uh, discussed the matter with the nurse and the two neighbors to whom uh, house uh, the, they to, to whose house they went that morning. And two days after, I had it from the mother, the minister that was with her that evening, and the woman who sat with her that night. They all agreed in the same story, and everyone helps to strengthen the other's testimony. They all appear to be sober, intelligent persons, far enough from uh, designing to impose a cheat upon the world or to manage a lie, and what temptation they should uh, lie under for so doing, I cannot conceive. So that is the case, and then there follows a really interesting discussion about it, how it's been used over the years. Um, you know, we all think that Raymond Moody's book triggered a, an interest in NDEs, and of course it did, but this is a discussion that goes back to uh, 1691. And take another copy of the journal. 
near-death studies. And just open it random. Resurrection appearances. Oh, this is from the uh, spring of 2012. Resurrection appearances of Jesus as after-death communication, which is uh, abbreviated AD, ADCs, by Ken Vincent, uh, Doctor of Education, Houston, Texas. I'll read the abstract. Scientific research into after-death communication began at the end of the 19th century. During this early period, psychical researcher James Hislop and theologian Rudolf uh, Otto wrote about the resurrection of Jesus as a visionary-slash-spiritual experience as opposed to a physical bodily resurrection. More recently, liberal theologians and religious experience researchers have also favored this view. The purpose of this article is to A, underscore the fact that the resurrection of Jesus as an after-death communication is solidly based in the only first-hand account of Paul and verified second, secondarily in, and the verified secondary accounts of Peter and James. Then they reference 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8 in the New Testament and B, to demonstrate that although a physical resurrection is implied by the gospel writers because of the empty tomb, the appearance stories of Jesus are more in accord with the phenomenology of modern after-death communications by Jesus, other divine figures, and ordinary people. I'll read a little of the beginning of this article. Easter is a day when Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It is an occasion much more significant than their celebration of Jesus' birth at Christmas. Resurrection literally means, quote, rising from the dead and coming back to life, unquote. Emory University professor Luke Timothy Johnson has gone so far as to call the resurrection the grounding for the entire Christian life. Was Jesus raised in a spiritual body or a physical body? In most traditional Christian churches, listeners will hear of a physical bodily resurrection. In fact, a 2005 Newsweek uh, poll found that half of Americans believe in a physical resurrection. Uh, I think that Newsweek was in 2009, and the poll might have been taken in 2005. This inference is based on the stories of Easter morning in the four Gospels, which relate that Jesus' body was not in the burial tomb when Mary Magdalene present in all gospel accounts, accompanied by one or more women in other gospel accounts, arrived there. This view has been perpetuated by millions of Christians since the 4th century who learned to recite from the Apostles' Creed the phrase, resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Interestingly, the same Newsweek showed one-third of Americans think that Jesus' resurrection was a spiritual one. My purpose is to present this view as the authentic one, first because it is more consistent with the New Testament accounts, and second because it is more compatible with scientific research into spiritually transformative experiences over the past 125 years. As a religious experience researcher myself, I am convinced that mystical religious experiences are a normal part of a healthy, non-psychotic human life, and that the religious experiences of Jesus represent the same phenomena as those of all people, despite time or culture. And let's see. In the early 20th century, he goes on, philosopher and psychical researcher James Hislop 
Hot Hislop, 1908, and theolo- theologian Rudolf Otto began to see the resurrection of Jesus as a visionary spiritual experience, what is now called an after-death communication. More recently, liberal theologians and religious experience researchers have favored a spiritual uh, resurrection over a physical resurrection. And in quotes here, an after-death communication is a spiritual experience that occurs when someone is connected directly and spontaneously by a deceased family member or friend. That's a quote from uh, Guggenheim. Guggenheim acknowledged that Jesus and his mother Mary are the best-known ADCs, but elected not to make the comparison for fear of offending Christians. Obviously, I have included Jesus, his mother Mary, and other divine beings, as that is the purpose of this paper. And let's see. And then he mentions Paul briefly. I'll read that, uh, and then we'll stop with this particular article. In the New Testament, Paul has the distinction of being the earliest writer as well as the only writer to give a first-person account of Jesus' resurrection. Paul's ADC with Jesus occurred about four years after Jesus' death, and he wrote about this experience about 20 years later. Paul was not a follower during Jesus' lifetime, but became one of the most influential apostles, having enormous influence over the direction of early Christianity, especially in the West. Paul's letters also provide the only verified second-hand reports of the resurrection, those of Peter, an early disciple of Jesus, and James, the brother of Jesus, whom Paul had met. These are Paul's own words. Jesus appeared to Peter and the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. That's a quote from 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8. And I'll stop that right there. All right. Summer of 2013. Let's see what we have here. For those of you joining me late, I'm reading excerpts from uh, various uh, issues of the Ian's Journal of Near-Death Studies, edited by Jan Holden. All right, here's an article titled Induced After-Death Communication, an Update, by Mo Hanna, Ellen Bodkin, Joseph Maroney, Jenny Streitholm. And I'll just pick out at random... After-death communication, ADC, is a spontaneous experience in which a living person has a feeling or sense of direct contact with a deceased person. Well, that's basically what we're talking about just now with with uh, Jesus and the Gospels. Psychologist Alan Bodkin, while experimenting with variations of the psycho psychophysiological procedure eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, discovered that he could facilitate ADC, that's after-death communication, for his clients. In the original form of EMDR, which is the eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, 
The psychotherapist uses bilateral stimulation, visual, auditory, or kinesthetic techniques to rhythmically stimulate both sides of the patient's body to induce a state of consciousness in which the client can possess, can process old problematic psychological material in a new way. Bodkin called his adaptation of this technique induced after-death communication and first published his findings about it in an earlier issue of um, this journal of near-death studies. Going back to 2000, um, ADC is quite common. He goes on in a systematic review of all research on ADC, 34 studies between 1894 and 2006 involving over 50,000 participants from 24 countries. Jenny Streithorn found that at least one-third of people have reportedly experienced ADC at some point in their lives. Remarkably, she found rates of reported ADC to be predominantly consistent across age groups, ethnicities, genders, education levels, incomes, and religious or non-religious affiliations. In addition to the commonality of ADC, researchers have found that the grieving people who experienced it seemed as mentally healthy as the general population, and that they almost always reported that it brought relief from their painful symptoms of grief. And I would add, in my own experience as a chaplain at a hospital, that I've had many conversations with many people who have reported after-death communication. Some, it's just a sign, just a symbol that was important to them, to actual apparitions and conversations with the person who have di- who's died. These uh, experiences are not at all unusual. Let me go on before we run out of time. All right. This is um, fall of 2013. Uh, This is a letter to the editor investigating Iranian Shiite Muslim near-death experiences, background methodological considerations, and preliminary comments. Let's see if I can find a passage that would be of... All right. In a 2009 guest editorial, this is by the writer, um, the letter to the editor. In a 2009 guest editorial in this journal, Joel Kreps concluded that Muslim NDEs appear to be quite rare in fact. In a later journal issue, two separate investigators responded with reports on Muslim NDEs in the first article, Michael Nam and Joachim Nicolay reported the eight Muslim NDEs and concluded that, quote, although the documentation standard of the available, available cases is generally low, these accounts indicate that structure and contents of NDEs from many non-Western Muslim com- communities are largely similar to those reported in the Western NDE literature, end quote. In the second article... Cheryl Fracasso, and they list a whole bunch of names following that, reported on a survey of Muslim NDEers in Iraq City, Iran. And these investigators concluded, quote, our results suggest that Muslim NDEs may actually be quite common as they are in the West and may not be especially different in their key features from Western NDEs therefore not heavily influenced by cultural variations, including prior religious or spiritual beliefs. 
And then the letter writer goes on, recently one of us began investigating Iranian Shiite Muslim NDEs as part of studies toward obtaining a PhD in psychology at the Shahid Chamran University of Avez in Iran. Participation in this study was solicited by announcements in Isfahan University. As part of this investigation, a website, and I don't know if this is still intact, but you can Copy it down if you'd like. It's www.irande.org. was established and posted in the Persian language to help educate Iranians about NDEs and encourage participation in the study. The study questionnaire is posted on the irande.org website. The questionnaire asks a variety of demographic questions and includes the NDE scale translated into Persian, Prior investigators have described development of a Persian NDE scale. For those interested, Google has an application that allows automatic translation of non-English websites into English. Let's see if there's anything more here. Skipping down. Our survey included demographic questions regarding age, gender, education level, length of time since the close brush with death, and circumstances around the experience such as type of accident, illness, or injury. For study participants who scored seven or higher on the Persian NDE scale, we calculated mean scores for the total NDE scale and the four subscales, and in parentheses, cognitive, affective, paranormal, and transcendental, We also calculated the percentage of NDEs with specific NDE features, for example, out-of-body experience, seeing an unearthly light, and or life review. As of this writing, 39 participants have completed the survey. Of these, 26 scored 7 or higher on the Persian NDE scale. After additional NDEers completed the survey, complete the survey, we plan a detailed analysis of the NDE narratives and responses to the survey questions. Preliminary results from our investigation of Iranian Shiite Muslim NDEs suggest that Muslim NDEs do occur and they are not rare. This study is too preliminary to form conclusions about any possible similarities or differences in comparison of the NDEs of our study group with typical Western NDEs. Fascinating stuff. Let's see, do we have time for one more? This is from the winter of 2013. Uh, the nursing profession and near-death experiences, a personal and professional update by Judith Mandelis. Uh, she's the University of North Texas. We don't have much time here. Let me just leaf through this. Well, she's a personal experiencer. At the time of my first NDE, she writes, I was a nurse working at the emergency department of a local hospital. Despite more than 20 years of nursing experience, I did not recognize my experience one autumn night as an NDE, nor did the physicians and nurses I worked with. Uh, Consequently, none of us knew how to assist me in my attempt to understand and integrate the aftermath of the phenomenon. 
on November 7th, 1997, at approximately 4.30 a.m., alone and asleep in my apartment, I awakened to someone shoving my face into a pillow. Rising up on one elbow, I saw the black silhouette of a raised arm above my head. Then everything went black, and I remember thinking, that hurt. First, I was floating above my bed. Then I was standing, looking down at the rumpled blankets on the bed, feeling detached and calm. Although I knew I had corporeality, I felt light, almost transparent. And though dawn was still hours away, the room lay lit with a soft, gentle white light. Next, enveloping me was a rich and vibrant blackness that felt alive and welcoming. I felt as though I could stay there forever. However, drawing my attention upward was light in the shape of an oval, as though someone had spilled thousands of brilliant diamonds across this velvety darkness. I remember thinking, wow. Desiring to get closer, I began moving toward the illumination-filled opening. However, entering that radiance was not to be. Instead, I found myself back in the soft, gentle glow I first experienced, and I was not alone. I was listening intently to two or three familiar entities speaking to me. Although I have no memory of the details of the information, the sense of importance of it continues with me to today. As they finished, I asked, what do I do now? To which they clearly replied, scream, (laughs) which I did forcefully. As I began to scream, I felt a thud. I no longer felt light and airy, but solid and heavy, as I once again associated with my physical body. Still screaming loudly, I became aware of someone running past me and then leaving my apartment. My injuries included a broken finger and several others I learned subsequently were potentially lethal, an open head wound, a concussion, and an externally dislocated left clavicle. We are out of time for today. My thanks to the Journal of Near-Death Studies and their authors for the content of this show. If you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.